We're in Second Samuel chapter seven. In this chapter seven, we will see David in one of his prayers of thanksgiving, and it is inspiring to say the least. But in chapter six, David has desired that the people of Israel experience the kabod, or the glory of God. And so David, he brings the Ark of the Covenant, trying to bring the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem, but he puts it on a cart. And along the way, though Uzzah, who was driving the cart, the ox stumble, Uzzah reaches out his hand to steady the Ark, And God takes his life. This has an impact on David. He's angry at God that he would do this. But he's also afraid of God at the same time. Many of us are hesitant to say we're angry at God when indeed we are angry at God. We see a child that suffers from some incurable disease and dies. And that can cause anger in some people. We see the murder of school children recently down in Florida. That can cause us to be upset. We hear of thieves that pull off scams to rob the elderly and we become upset. Many young mothers having abortion versus having their baby. It upsets us against our society. We have hurricanes, tornadoes, and floodings that come. And we have questions as to why. But here's the thing. Many of these things that we see and hear of are referred to as acts of God. And like David, we can become angry and be afraid of God all at the same time. Now, out on the farm, we have what we call a storm shelter. (laughs) And we have retreated into this storm shelter on several occasions. And it's usually when tornado warnings are coming and that kind of thing. And we go into that storm shelter with a little fear and apprehension. But this touching of the ark by Uzzah was a foolish act of disobedience. Well, you can say, well, they didn't know. It still was an act of disobedience, knowing or unknowing. And David is angry at God for his outbreak against Uzzah. And David asks a question. He says, how can the ark of God come to me? And so David puts the ark with different people. And David sees God blessing wherever the ark was. Wherever the ark was located, God would bless that family. And that that family was Obed-Edom. And for three months, God blesses Obed-Edom 
because the Ark of the Covenant is there with him. And this causes David to look into how to move the ark. And he, he now, again, wants the ark in Jerusalem. But it's not on carts this time, as other pagan nations would move the ark. But it's on the shoulders through the poles of the priest. And we, we see a great lesson there. God requires us, his people, to worship him as he chooses. We can't go about worship in a willy-nilly fashion. God has a way for us to do it. And that's the heart of our worship team. It's my heart to worship God, have services that are pleasing to God. Because throughout the history of mankind, men worship their gods, little g, through human sacrifice, through uh, debased practices. But God never allows his people to worship him as pagans worship their God. There's no mutilations. There's no human sacrifice offered to God. And one of the most exuberant demonstrations of worship in all of Scripture is David dancing before the Lord in this parade atmosphere as the ark comes into Jerusalem. And David's wife, Michal, she chastises David for being undignified, for dancing before the ark. And David has a word for her in verse 22. David's reply, I will even be more undignified and more humble in my own eyes. David would humble himself before the Lord, and it pleased the Lord. I have heard those who prefer, let's say, to get a little exuberant or strange in their worship, defend David's dancing before the Lord, whirling in celebration of the ark coming into Jerusalem, and that David did. And I don't want to condemn anyone for being exuberant in their worship. But church services are to be done decently in order. David was in a parade. It was like a triumphal entry type parade when he was whirling and dancing before the Lord in the ark there. It was not in synagogue or temple. So let's jump into chapter 7 of 2 Samuel. We'll read the first 17 verses. Now it came to pass when the king was dwelling in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies all around, that the king said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells inside tent curtains. Then Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. But it happened that night that the word of the Lord came to Nathan, saying, Go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, Would you build me a house to dwell in? For I have not dwelled in a house since the time that I brought the children of Israel up from Egypt, even to this day, but have moved about in a tent and in a tabernacle. 
Whenever I have moved along with the children of Israel, have I ever spoken a word to anyone from the tribes of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now therefore, thus says, <clears throat> thus shall you say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the sheepfold, from following the sheep to be ruler over my people, over Israel. And I have been with you wherever you have gone, and cut off all your enemies from before you, and have made you a great name, like the name of the great men who are on the earth. Moreover, I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and will plant them, that they may dwell in a place of their own, and move no more. Nor shall the sons of wickedness oppress them any more as previously." Since the time that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel and have caused you to rest from all your enemies, also the Lord tells you that he will make you a house. When, you, when your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you, who will come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom kingdom forever. I will be his father and he shall be my son. If he commits iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the blows of the sons of men. But my mercy shall not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I removed from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever. According to all these words and according to all this vision, so Nathan spoke to David. David, a valiant warrior, has been appointed, uh, anointed rather, as king, and he's living in a time of rest. Things are going good for David. He's living in his cedar house uh, that was built by Hiram of Lebanon. David is living as king with no enemies. Nobody's threatening Israel at this time, and it's a good time for David. And David's mind now turns to doing a good work for the Lord. David wants to build a temple for the Ark of the Covenant to rest in. And survival... And consolidating his kingship is no longer an issue for David. Things are at peace. So David calls for Nathan, the, the prophet, the priest of God. And he says, Nathan, I want to build God a temple. Nathan, he is delighted to tell David, go, do all that's in your heart. The Lord is with you. The only problem with that is not true. And it came from a prophet. God that same night visits Nathan and he says, I got you a message to take to David. And he says, thus says the Lord, would you build a house for me to dwell in? David, your desire is good before Nathan, it, the prophet, but it's not such a good idea before me, David. And, Dave, and Nathan now has to go back to David and tell David, hey, I misspoke. My word was contrary 
to the word that God now gives you, David. Nathan wanted a temple. He's a priest. <laughs> he wants a temple erected. He wants to see God getting glory and perhaps he even might be the high priest. It would be a place of prestige for Nathan. Maybe give him a little more honor. Perhaps a little more respect. But Nathan is required to continue God's word to David. And that is, David, I have not ever dwelt in a structure since Israel became a nation. I've never had a place that man built for me. Nor have I commanded any of the patriarchs, any of the judges, to ever build me a house or a temple. And then God gives David a history lesson. He says, remember, David, I want you to remember this. I took you from following sheep to being ruler over my people, Israel. Do you notice anything peculiar there? David didn't shepherd the sheep. He followed the sheep. I mean, how lowly a task can you have that you follow sheep? <laughs> and as for Israel, they shall have a place of their own. And they won't be nomadic. They won't move about anymore. And they will have their own place. And no longer will Israel's enemies oppress them. And he said, David, I'm going to establish you. And I'm going to establish your house through your lineage. And God tells David, through your sons, I will establish his kingdom Forever, And that's speaking, of course, of Messiah. And God speaks to David, directs his descendants, his direct descendants, and he speaks also of Christ. And he says, I will be his father and he shall be my son. And as for your kingdom, David, your house shall be established forever before you. Your throne, David, is an eternal throne. And what a thing for David to hear. This word from God is greater than David can even begin to comprehend. He surely doesn't absorb what, what Nathan the prophet is telling him from God. And sometimes we can experience God's blessings above and beyond what we could ever even dream or hope for. As a fellowship, in a small fellowship at that, we have experienced God's grace here. His mercy has been abundant to us. And we have attempted to be good stewards of the funds that we receive here. The money that comes in, we try to be good stewards of. However, Above that, God's blessings are more important than us advancing financially. Several years back, there was a person who had received a large insurance settlement from their home being destroyed. That person came to me 
and they wanted to pay a tithe on that money. And that would have been many thousands of dollars, their tithe. I couldn't accept it. I said, the way I understand tithing, you tithe on the increase, not on replacement money. And that was just replacement money. They had suffered a loss. I said, I don't think you owe a tithe or should even be considering paying a tithe. Now, I believe in tithing. (laughs) And Lori and I do tithe. But we tithe on wages and on increases that God gives us. And David, he wants to honor God by building a temple. He wants to build God a place for God to dwell. And God nixes the whole idea. Nope, not going to happen, David. And Nathan now is left with the duty of returning to David and to tell him God's word. God is not in your desire for you to build a temple, David, period. Now, David's son will build a temple, but David is not allowed to build a temple. Nathan had to humble himself and tell David, I was wrong. I was wrong to tell you, do all that is in your heart. Don't build the temple, David. Here at Calvary Chapel, we do not want to receive offerings and then try and discern if we should have received those offerings. I don't want to have to go through that. And I learned that from Chuck Smith very early, very early in my days in Calvary Chapel. I was in one of Chuck's services. When Chuck said, giving is for believers. And then he said, so if you're not a believer... And you've given the offering this morning. Come and see me after the service, and I will make sure you get your money back. And I go, boy, you don't hear that message many times out of churches. And here, we don't want ever to be perceived as a church that's after your money. You give cheerfully or don't bother. Seriously, if you can't give cheerfully unto the Lord, please don't put anything in the box. David wanted to give. But God says, rather, David, I will establish you and your throne forever. So now let's read David's reply. That's in verses 18 through 25. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord, and he said, Who am I, O Lord God, and what is my house that you have brought me this far? And that this was a small thing in your sight, O Lord God, and you have also spoken of your servant's house for a great while to come. In this the manner of of man, O Lord God. Now what more can David say to you? For you, Lord God, know your servant. For your word's sake and according to your own heart, you have done all these great things to make your servant know them. Therefore, you are great, O Lord God, 
For there is none like you, nor is there any God besides you, according to all that we have heard with our ears. And who is like your people, like Israel, the one nation on earth, whom God went to redeem for himself as a people, to make for himself a name, and to do for yourself great and awesome deeds for your land, before your people whom you redeem for yourself from Egypt and the nations and their gods. For you have made your people Israel your very own people forever, and you, Lord, have become their God. Now, O Lord God, the words which you have spoken concerning your servant and concerning his house, go ahead, establish it forever, and do, Lord, as you have said. Let me direct your attention back to the first verse we read there, verse 18. King David takes a moment of quietness, and he sits down before God in a time of contemplation and worship. And in his thinking, David says, Lord, who am I? And what is my house that you have brought me this far? Who am I, God? And that's a question that every believer should ask. Why do I experience your great pleasure, God? And I'm convinced in my own life, God blesses me as much as I dare receive blessings. And David says, Lord, you've caused me to know that your goodness for me is now, as I'm king, and for a great time to come. You're going to bless me, Lord. Lord, you have made known to us, your people, how you redeemed us out of Egypt. And verse 25 tells us, Lord, the good things you have declared to your servant and his house, go ahead, establish it, do it. Do as you have said, God. And David then comes forth with a prayer of thanksgiving to God. And his prayer is inspiring. Let's read David's prayer. That's in verse 26 through 29. So let your name be magnified forever, saying, The Lord of hosts is a God over Israel. And let the house of your servant David be established before you. For you, O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, have revealed this to your servant, saying, I will build you a house. Therefore, your servant has found it in his heart to pray this prayer to you. And now, O Lord God, you are God. And your words are true, and you have promised the goodness to your servant. Now, therefore, let it please you to bless the house of your servant, that it may be continue forever. For you, O Lord God, have spoken it, and with your blessing, let the house of your servant be blessed forever. David stops and he says, I found it in my heart to pray this prayer to you, Lord. 
And that came when David took time to sit and meditate, contemplate, think about the blessing that God was doing for him. I want to challenge each and every one of us. I want to challenge every believer. Take a little time in your devotions, in your quiet times, to write write out a prayer of thanksgiving to God. Take time to do it. David did. David was a man after God's own heart. And then, if you feel so inclined, I'd like you to share that prayer. And if you can't share it with anybody else, share it with me. I'd love to read it. That would be, that would be something awesome. David understood that it pleased God to bless him. Do you and I understand that truth? Do you really understand that God is for you and wants to bless you? I hope we do. We will have people in the prayer area who would be delighted to pray with you uh, over any issues in your life. Even prayer of thanksgiving could come forth. But let me get you to stand and we'll close in prayer. Father God, I've often confessed that I do not know why you love me so much. Your word tells us that you loved us way before we loved you, and all we can do is respond to your love. But I want to respond to your love, Lord. I want to show my appreciation. I want to have a thankful heart for your goodness to me, to this fellowship, to my family, Lord. I want to have a heart that is appreciative to you, Lord. So, Lord, help me to see your goodness. Help me to understand your provision. Help me to see the times you protect me and lead me and guide me. And let everyone here also enjoy that privilege of seeing you work in their hearts and lives for good. David got a glimpse of it. And he, he was thankful. He was prayerful to you for your goodness to him. And he said, establish it, Lord. Do it. And we say that to you also. We are your people, Lord. We ask you to bless us, but give us a heart, Lord, that understands and receives your blessings in a humble way. And we pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen.